2: Welcome to a classic big interview. This is where we dig into the vaults and choose an episode from earlier in our shows. This time, we've gone all the way back to season 2018-19 and opted for one of our and your absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Do enjoy. If I'm Graham Hunter, and I am, then this must be the big interview... Today's guest, another special one, is the man who played half of his career with his name spelled incorrectly on the back of his shirt. It's Don Hutchison. No N. I got to know him a little bit on social media having listened to him adding his considerable articulate skills to co-commentaries on European football where he knows systems and players and adds something. As a footballer, he was articulate, elegant, clever, used the ball really well, out of time. Had he been playing in the modern era, he'd have been transferred to Sevilla or Villarreal. Or at least that's the way I like to think about it. Coming up, how it feels or felt to him to be caught in one of Patrick Vieira's traps. Inspector Gadget comes up. And Wembley 99. It was a good time to take one giant leap for kilted mankind. Don Hutchison was a funny, uh, intelligent, interesting, articulate guest. He and we could have spent all day doing this. Things got a bit personal. Uh, There are profiles from him from the heart and from the gut of two very different Everton managers who had a huge impact on Don, his career, and his day-to-day life. They are Howard Kendall, in tears, and Walter Smith, with one of his players, guess who, by the throat against the wall. Listen on. You won't regret it. This, ladies and gentlemen, children... And anybody listening around the universe is Don Hutchison on The Big Interview. We love craftsmen, uh, Don Hutchison. We love um, elegant footballers on this podcast, people who love the ball and could use it well and... That's one of the many reasons you're here. I was just thinking, who's coming in? One of the many reasons (laughs) that you're here. Um, You were that. But what we often do, and it's quite a basic technique when you're having a conversation with somebody, is to go back to origins. Don't always do that. But there is a name um, which I possibly can't pronounce, but does fascinate me. We did this with uh, Michael Carrick. Uh, because Wells in Boys Club mm. and I think it was called the Box or something there. This tiny little wooden room where there was no space, too many people, yeah. and therefore what you did with the ball was crucial. I'd like to know a little bit about Red Hugh Red Red, F- F-
1: Red Oh get out of yeah, there, Yeah, Red Juff Boys Club. All the sort of football work was done in the central hall where we used to have a couple of benches just turned over for goals. Yeah, I remember. Um that. softball. Um, and then you just learnt your skills. And we used to play a game called doors where everyone would basically have a door and that was your own goal. So do not let any goals into your goal uh-huh. and score in the opposition goal. It was real, it was intense. You know? it, was, it was kids playing that sport, that game with, with, with so much ferocity because everyone's teenagers, everyone's 12, 13, 14 and that's where you start from and everyone wanted to win yeah. and everyone was just as good as each other. You know, You really? yeah, Absolutely. If a coach had a walked in and, and through those three or four years tried to tell you which ones were going to make it as a pro, he'd have had a hard task because everyone was at a very, very high standard. What made the difference in the end? A lucky break. Um, I, we were winning trophies for fun, of Boys Club. I think we set a sort of not official Guinness Book of Records, but we weren't far away from something like three years unbeaten, winning every league game, winning every trophy, because you had a fantastic side. Um, and then a friendly game appeared against Newcastle United, uh, and Newcastle wanted the friendly to be taken on, and I think we were about 17 at the time, and it was a, it was a chance for us to, to play in front of Newcastle United and their scouts, and we always sort of got wind. As a teenager, you'd get wind when there's a scout there, there's a man standing there with a big Adidas tracksuit, a Puma tracksuit on you go, he must be a scout, <laughs> he's not a dad. And you sort of, right, you, you up your game a little bit, and it was a game where... I just had one of my most perfect games I've ever had in my life and I scored a couple of goals and we destroyed Newcastle and then one of their youngsters just lost his head and just smashed me with a 2 foot tackle and broke my knee oh. and it was absolutely devastating. That was my whole world crashing down at 17, thinking I've just had the most 70 minutes perfect game of my life and then as boys do, as lads do, when it's not going their way, they just, just take a bit of retribution out and it was
2: intentional it was it was,
1: was, yeah it was and um, it put me out of the game for eight or nine months um, and I had to fight really hard rehabbing Newcastle were brilliant their their physio at the time I think was Derek Fazakli, I think his name was um, he took me in for treatment Um, even meeting people like Peter Beardsley and whoever the players were at the time maybe people like Scott Sellers and, and guys like that who were in and around the dressing room who were getting treatment and just sitting there and you know 17 Getting treatment Just amazing
2: Not quite worth it No you? but But but, 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 oh, but so The but, bonus of
1: Yeah but as a kid It's like It's the biggest day of my life Just wow. going for treatment Yeah You know Being at Newcastle United My yeah. boy, boyhood club Who I supported for forever um, And then I had to really fight To get back And play at that sort of standard Which took me a while um, And then we were playing In the cup final In Pop Robson was yeah. there?
2: Old West Ham, Sunderland. He was like over, it. very he, that, good in
1: the air. Yeah, he was, um, was Hartlepool's um, assistant manager and he was at the game uh, and he, he saw something in me that was worth having a conversation. And he just said, How do you feel about coming for a trial at Hartlepool? And I went, Absolutely, like perfect, can't wait. So, me and the centre half, we had loads of good players, but probably at this time, there was myself and the centre half who were probably just starting to shine. And he asked the pair of us to go for a trial. We played against Sunderland, scored a couple of goals. He played well, the centre half. I played well, and Pop said, "Look, we'd want to take you on. We want to sign you." But I was at a difficult age where I was at seventeen and a half, stroke eighteen, where you couldn't sign pro forms at the time because you're too young, Um, and you were too old to 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 sort of be an apprentice. So I had to go if I was going to sign, be on a YTS wage, which was twenty seven pound fifty. Uh, and I was an apprentice. for use training scheme for those who don't yeah, remember it. Use yeah, training, training scheme. scheme. And I was an apprentice forklift driver at the time, earning decent money, um, just starting to sort of grow into a man and get a real job. And he asked me what, and I said, I'm taking it. I'll take the, I'll take the opportunity. Centre half was a postman earning decent money. He went, What about you? And he went, No. He went, Not going to go through. He went, I'm earning good money doing this. And we walked away and I went, Are you mental? I went, This is a chance for us to have a trial. It's never going to come around again. He went, No. He went, I'm earning good money. This is what I want to do. And I signed for Hartlepool uh, and, correct me if I'm wrong, from, I think I was probably there eight, nine months and I went to Liverpool.
2: Something like 24 league
1: games. Incredible. And you're at Anfield. Incredible. So and he must have been absolutely kicking himself. Graeme Sooner said to me when I was at Liverpool, and, and it was one of them light bulb moments where he said to me, he said, you do too much running for a central midfield player. And I went, what do you mean, Gaffan? He went, one day, he went, you will learn to let the game come to you. And I walked out of his office and Jamie Redknapp said, what did the gaffer say? And I went, I've got no idea. I said, I don't know what, I, I said, I know what he said, but I don't know what he meant. Because I was 18, 18 and a half, 19. And I sort of brushed it off. And then years later, I was at West Ham and I had a game where it just came so easy. And all I was doing was, I felt like I was standing still. And I was just like a buffer. I think a large part is, is, is experience. And I was a cross-country runner, that was that was me. I was box-to-box, I was a cross-country runner at school. So I took that into my early days at Liverpool and when you get thrust into the first team then and you're in a midfield three of yourself Ronnie Whelan and Jan Mulby it's almost like you go right well can I be as good as Jan Mulby (laughs) no can I be as good as Ronnie Whelan no at that time so what can I bring I can bring legs I'll do the thing that I know I can do exactly and I can do it I can do it so easily so I'll give them the legs they can have all the ball we can play well we can win games and it's a team game and the three of us hopefully excel, and we do well. Uh, so what I was doing was constantly just being on the move and covering between 12 and 15 miles a game. And Graham was probably looking at me as a central midfielder as he was, thinking, he's just doing too much running. Mm-hmm. He's great because he's getting in the box. Mm-hmm. And Graham could probably understand what I was doing because of the players I was playing with. Mm-hmm. But on the grand scheme of things, he probably knew that I probably could, couldn't sustain that for 10 years because you can't. And at some point, you've got to try and find the football intelligence to then play in midfield. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Morby one of those guys that let the game come to him? Yeah, and... Absolutely. Well, he was, he was the guy that, you know, unfortunately, I think when people judge on how Jan was as a player, they'll probably say, didn't come out of the centre circle, did he? And he probably didn't, <laughs> but he probably did. But he was just an unbelievable passer of the ball. Wasn't he? Free kicks, penalties, you know, strong as an ox. Couldn't get the ball off him in training. Um, intelligent. There's players playing now um, where you look and you think they haven't got the the vision, and the vision's not necessarily having the vision to pick a pass. It's and we call it in the game, you know, taking pictures. And checking your shoulders, as in if, if a right back gives you the ball, if you're playing central midfield for Liverpool and Rob Jones is just about to give you the ball, you should already have a vision and check your shoulders what's on before the ball's coming. I think some younger players now tend to react when they get hold of the ball. Mm-hmm. Ross Barkley comes to mind. Mm-hmm. He's a player with so much ability, but he doesn't see the pitcher quick enough. Mm-hmm. And he'll get better. And when he starts checking his shoulders and, and, and not be so much square on, be side on when you receive the ball, get yourself on less touches. You know, but square on side on, you're talking about like just knowing what's behind you because the ball, you know, the
2: ball's going to come to you and you maybe just corkscrew your body half a turn and take the ball in and the back you foot. You don't need a touch no.
1: or half but touch. The, the easiest way to try and describe it is if you're, if a centre half has given you the ball and you are square on to him, you can't see what's behind you. So if you get side on and the ball comes to you, you've got your peripheral vision to the left hand side, you know, the ball's on its way. You know where your midfield players are. Can you just pop it off one touch because you're under pressure? Can you take it on the back foot and then pick a pass? And you get all of this with experience. Mm-hmm. But also, you, you, you do have that. It's inner built quite early on. It's, it's, that's not something the coaches should have to work too hard on to teach you. You know, if you're in a central area. And I, I, I remember going back to a game where I played for Everton against Arsenal, and it was uh, I think it was the second-last game of the season when we got destroyed and Tony Adams scored. 4-1. Yeah, 4-1, and we stayed up on the last day of the season, the week after, against Coventry with a 1-1 draw. And Vieira was the best best exponent I've Mm -hmm. ever seen of letting you think you've got time on the ball. And every time Michael Ball, our left-back, got hold of the ball, and he looked at me, I checked my shoulders and see Vieira 15, 20 yards off me. So I'm thinking, right, Ballie, I'm on. By the time Michael Ball played me a twenty yards pass and I turned, Vieira was bang. And he was doing me every single time. And I was going, This is a joke, because every time I'm looking, he's 20 yards away. He was covering the amount of ground up and basically what he was doing, he was setting traps for me. He was going, Go on, you think you can get hold of the ball? <laughs> and by the time Michael Ball rolls you the ball, which is ten, fifteen yards, he can cover that ground over ten yards in what, two seconds? And three he's, seconds? He's got apart and they're
2: covering the ground, because for anybody who doesn't remember Vieira He's got legs like stilts. Yeah. But the other thing is my memory of him was that he's got a tremendous anticipation so that even before that first move when he's it's a beautiful phrase to set the trap yeah his head is going i know when i'm setting off i know when michael ball yeah. is going to pick the pass also he had telescopic legs yeah he used it's to put a out like marvel co- it's spent a it's gadget exactly like Same. it's this long now it's like oh yeah. and it's round the back and, and it, the, the the foot his foot had a hook on it yeah like long john silver because yeah.
1: the boot's straight and then it's like oh it's hooked around it's nicked the ball off me and he's away but can you imagine having that intelligence where Not only was Vieira looking at me and looking at my position, Mm. also looking at Michael Ball, Mm. looking at the distance that Michael Ball had to play the pass to me, 20 yards, Mm. knowing not to set off too early. If he sets off too early, I can hear him, I can feel him, I can (laughs) breathe him. I just pop it back to Michael Ball and go, you've just wasted 20 yards there. (laughs) So all all that football intelligence, which happens... A million times a game to different... different it's, it's a wonderful thing when you see it. Yeah. And ev- it's even better when you've had it done against you. Because it'll never leave me. You made me think of
2: two names. So Morby was one. The other one is a, a guy that we share a respect for in the way you've been describing reading and position, body positioning. And, and it's Busquets. Because mm. um, well, I, I know already I've cheated. I know what you think about him. But he also... Uh, meets exactly the spec you've been talking about, about the yeah. central midfield player who sets traps, who reads
1: things. And you, you, you take a lot of fun watching him, or you have done yeah. watching him play, right? Love him. Absolutely adore watching him play. Because the game, to some people, comes very easy. And he's one where you think he could play at least 40. Because his football brain seems to be bigger than anyone else's. He probably doesn't cover the amount of ground anyone else does um, for Barca. Um, Granted, he needs the legs in and around him, but still take nothing away from his ability and how he can manipulate the ball, his body position, knows when he's being closed down, knows when to take one touch, two touch, uh, knows when to play a forward pass. I think when a lot of people lazily watch football and watch people like Busquets and Michael Carrick, they they think they just pass the ball sideways and backwards, which is not true. Busquets is one of the best exponents Of taking it on the back foot And banging it into someone like Messi Banging it into to Luis Suarez The, the so-called better players But I'm using that loosely Because yeah. they're the match winners Instead of just going five yards And being safe
2: You saw the passes You saw the risks And you had the ability to deliver them Were you ever scared of doing that? Or did you Never. ever reach a point Where you doubt di- I'm not going to do that Because Never. this might happen
1: Never, Never. Ever you, you lose a bit of confidence Of course you do Every player goes through that um, and it does happen where you might just see a killer pass, but you've given a few balls away, mm. as in half a dozen balls, and then you go, right, what you've got to do now is just go back to basics. When you're young, we in the game we call it the Hollywood ball, when you've given four or five away, you try to then go for the spectacular yeah. to try and redeem all your confidence back in one hit. And it never works because you've give that one away, then all of a sudden you are digging for so much confidence and trying to find yeah. something. Whereas when you get a little bit more experience and you give a couple of passes away, the first thing you do is go safe mm-hmm. and you build your confidence okay. over a, short, a shorter period of time yeah. and then when you feel as though you're ultra confident you go for them passes again mm-hmm. but over, over weeks and months I wouldn't imagine I ever went against my principles about taking risks maybe in a game or, or definitely in a game it would have happened at some point mm. I don't think you could sit here and say I, I never lost any confidence because it goes through every player at some point where mm. when you're playing well and I mentioned before about Jan and, and, and Busquets and Michael Carrick. When the game's easy, you can just have a picture in your head. I know where Trevor Sinclair is out on the right-hand side. I know the distances that he's away from me. I know how fast Trevor can run. I'll take one touch and I'll put it in the space. When you've lost that confidence, you mm. overthink it. Yeah. And then you see it. You know it's there. You question yourself. This is all inside one second. Y- y- yeah. And then you go, what I'll do is I'll take one more touch. You're dead. It's yeah. not on anymore. What 's your peripheral vision like, do you think? Very good? I, I always thought that was one of the strongest parts of my game, and my coach at Regdge of Boys, Terry Ritten, said that is the strongest part of your game. your vision you 've got to have it because if you haven 't got the vision, how can you execute the pass you 've got to have it've you, you, to when you 've got to find a way of not just staring down at the ball because your peripheral vision is then lesser than what it should be. And you try and find a middle ground and it's, it's, it's ridiculously hard to try and explain. And it's actually difficult to try and put it into words. But you've got to be sort of staring into not almost no man's land, but not staring at the ball, not staring on who's passing you the ball, not staring on where the pass is eventually going to go. But you're staring in a sort of central area where you can see probably all three. Right-hand side, you know the ball's coming in. Left-hand side, who's making the run. And then it all sort of comes together. Kenny, mm. does he make a mean beans on toast? Did I don't you, know. Did you truthfully nick round to his house? We did. For Jamie to watch football overnight? night. We did, and we didn't. We didn't nick round. What happened was, um, I think it was it was a Canal Plus, um, which was showing the French um, league at the time. Randomly, I think on a Thursday or a Friday night, back in the early nineties. Um, and Jamie was obviously tight with with Kenny because obviously Harry. Harry um, and. Jamie got the invite to go around for dinner uh, and obviously we were in digs together so I was obviously invited, petrified. Absolutely petrified because it's Kenny Daglish. Exactly the same as what it would have been with Graham when we are all young. We don't know how to act in front of real legends. So, you know, you're sitting there having dinner, couldn't remember what we ate. Um, Jamie's and myself trying to have a conversation with Kenny couldn't for the life of me understand what he was saying. So every single... Conversation or sentence he spoke, I fake laughed, and he must have been thinking, "What is he doing?" Because I just, I just couldn't understand him. A lad from Newcastle with, with Kenny's thick Scottish accent, I just couldn't get it. But it, 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 it was an unbelievable thing that a manager was inviting two young kids round just to watch a bit of football and have a conversation and break away from your digs and go and meet the family. It was, it was really, really smart of Kenny, but. Brilliant for us. What was your dad's accent like? It wasn't as strong, I think, because he came down from Nairn to be a minor when he was seventeen. He left the family home to try and put money on the on the table for his mum and dad. Um, so by the time I was growing up, he, he, he obviously he, he had it, but it wasn't as strong. Tough man, six foot four, hard as you like. Um, worked really hard. Um, he was a cricket man more than football. Rangers was just sort of his team, but he wasn't overly obsessed with football. But, you know, adored him for, for, for what he was, but he was tough. And I only ever seen him cry once in the whole of my life. I've seen him cry once, and it was at Wembley when I scored the winner. Huh. And um, I said, are you all right, Dad? And he, yeah. Like, <laughs> tears just coming, eyes red. Wasn't sobbing, wasn't like bawling, because yeah. he wouldn't allow himself to no. bawl. But easily just the 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 most standout moment in my life, seeing the old man having a tear. And so... He's at Wembley,
2: and for those um, who, who don't remember, it's 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, Scotland have got to the verge of a tournament. Yeah, um, having been at the World Cup the year before. Um, so, and, and for umpteen prior to that, from '74 onwards. Um, and my memory is that Scotland played quite well at Hampden in the first leg of that, yeah, and played really well. Just got picked off by a, a gem of a player. <sighs> Incredible impulse goals. Yeah. What was the challenge to you about going down to Wembley?
1: You'd, you'd always considered, apart yep. from who you played for, you'd always considered Scottish. Always. All my pictures of, of being a kid's in the Scotland Strip. I've um, got a lovely picture of me and my dad, Rick Butlins, and he's standing there with a big, as you mentioned, Graham Sooners, big sort of handlebar moustache, and I'm sitting there on my blue Scotland top on, and I, I, I never wanted to play for anyone else. Was it one of the best performances
2: of your career that night at
1: Wembley, goal aside, I've always enjoyed um, being in the Lions Den, you know. Whether playing for Sunderland against Newcastle St James's Park, scoring a goal, which I'm a Newcastle fan, um, having played for Everton and Liverpool in Merseyside derbies for both sides, being born in England, playing for Scotland, I've never done anything the conventional way. <laughs> it's always been against the grain, but secretly that's, that's that used to fire me up. Going back to the early game where you mentioned at Hamden, we competed quite well. There was nothing much in the game. Paul Scholes got a couple of headers, which was ludicrous really because we'd done all the prep on you know, people like Tony Adams, people like Martin Kieran, people like Alan Shearer, people like Paul Ins, all coming in the box from wide free kicks and corners down to every single detail. And no one had Paul Scholes arriving in the box. We had him on either taking free kicks or been on the edge of the 18-yard box for headers coming out and, and taking shots at target uh, and he scored a couple of goals and there was ructions going on in the dressing room who was picking them up and no one literally had a clue but I can remember clear as day standing at Wembley England to one side Scotland to the other and the national anthems were going and when the, when the Scottish Nas- national anthem went off the not abuse but the booze inside the stadium were so loud it can either make you sink or go, this is what football's all about. Yeah, and, and I always hadn't had that in my belly. The, the, the tougher the task, the harder the environment, I'd like to think that's what got me going, and I played it probably my best.
2: I'll show you.
1: Yes, exactly that. I've not seen the, the game for, for quite a number of years, but whenever I see it, and, and my memories of the game, was every single Scottish player in that 11 outplayed the English. Mm-hmm. In every department, wherever uh, you want to look. Have you ever jumped that high? No, is that the highest you've ever jumped ever. in your career? <laughs> ever. Again, I think it's. Just, it was a big jump. It, it was just ridiculous because things things happen in football every now and again when you're at your at your peak, and you see things coming an absolute mile off. Wow. And we kept hold of the ball, and the passage of play was brilliant. Um, Neil McCann got played in down the left hand side, and Neil was a very good cross for the ball. He, he, he never really whipped them hard and low. He always had a, an appreciation for... If it was Billy Dodds going to the near post, he'd whip it in hard and low because Billy probably wasn't as good as what I was in the air. Likewise, if he saw me in the box, he wouldn't try and drill one hard and low. He'd stand it up for me. And as he stood the ball quite deep towards the corner flag, I had so much time to judge the flight of it. And that's probably where, again, you see the vision. Mm-hmm. And, and it was floated beautifully... And all I had to do, I say all I had to do, was just make sure the timing of my jump was on. Because mm. I knew I had the run on Tony Adams. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it was one of them where, I don't know if it's adrenaline, I don't know what it is, but it was easily the highest I've ever jumped. The timing was brilliant. It wasn't the strongest ahead of us. Um, Billy Dodds trying to nick it as it was going over the line, which I would have been fuming. And my boy always claims it was a, it was an own goal. And I went, "What own no. oh, goal?" He went, "David Seaman should have saved that. Technically, it's an own goal by the keeper. He just doesn't want to give me any credit." No, 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 no. It's, it's not. It's a thing of absolute towering beauty. Yeah, and uh, easily probably the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life. And your dad was there. Yeah. We
2: are lucky enough to have people who support us. Bet three six five. They've sent you in a couple of questions. Um, one that I like. If you had the chance to manage any of your former clubs,
1: which one would you pick and why? I'd probably go towards Hartlepool. I would. <laughs> I would. It's, it, it was, and I know I'm, I'm digressing away from what the question is because it's about managing, but I think I of my whole lifetime, the purest football I ever played was Hartlepool. So I wasn't playing for any money. I was earning £27.50 a week. I spent £27.50 a week. There was a sports shop around the corner, which I think I got my first pair of Copa mundials from, which is easily the best boot ever made. <laughs> uh, and the guy in there was just amazing because he let us, as YTS boys, put something like a fiver down. You take the boots, and we just went in every couple of weeks and chipped away at a couple of quid. Uh, you, weren't, you, you had one pair of jeans, one pair of trainers, a couple of tops. It, is, it, it was what it was. You weren't playing to be a superstar. You were playing to get your foot on the ladder to be a pro Mm. and that easy was the purest time to manage I think the biggest club I've played for would be Liverpool so to answer the question it would be Liverpool
2: You were born at around the same time as Pep Guardiola. And in the year that you were born, Everton were English champions. Mm. And they were driven by the, the Holy Trinity, yeah. as they're called. Colin Harvey, Alan Ball, and Howard Kendall. And Howard was making his debut aged 17. Yeah. Colin Harvey was the White pelly aged 16. Bollie was at Blackpool, aged 17, won the World Cup, aged 21. Of the three of them, it's Howard Kendall who's the one yeah. that affected you most. Definitely. It's going to be quite a complicated subject because, you know, if we start at the back end, there's no doubt the way in which it, the latter part of his life was wasn't necessarily the real Howard Kendall. Mm. Howard Kendall who was apparently an outstanding midfield footballer. Yeah. Outstanding. Mm. And he'd been a wonderful manager. Yeah. But I don't know whether to start with, you said, father figure. Yeah. Moving to Everton was a move up in the division, wages. Yeah. What was it about him and Everton and, and you that, that mattered so much to you? Because certainly in his only season of coaching you at Everton, things weren't <coughs> you know, what you'd have wanted it to be. Yeah. The, the, uh, the Johnson's,
1: he, the, the money wasn't there. The, yeah. the squad
2: probably yeah. was a, th- a bit thin, it was a, I it
1: was, guess. Yeah. Truth be told, it wouldn't have mattered at the time who was the manager of it because I would have gone there in a heartbeat because I wanted to be back in the Premier League Uh, I love being in the Championship again you talk about pure football and it's relentless you have to be durable you have to be tough you have to be physically fit mentally fit to play Saturday, Tuesday and complete something like 60, 70 games a season so a brutal league to play in but a good one but the sprinkle of Everton and Howard Mm. it was a no-brainer you could sit down with Howard you could talk about football if you've got a problem with your, your private life he was engaging he was warm it wouldn't have mattered in any environment. And I've seen him in a million environments and he, and he holds court like you wouldn't believe. Mm. He doesn't boss it. You know, he takes information on. He listens to people's opinions. He gives his opinion and then you come to the conclusion that he's right. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it, it's just an incredibly, well, he was an incredibly sound man. And just, in my opinion, just, just, just the perfect man if you're, if you're handpicking a family member. Mm. you'd want Howard to be in it
2: it it mattered then a great deal for your personal pride and for the club and for the fans but also for Howard that on that last day you you somehow saved the incredible I mean compared to the the emotional highs of Wembley you know the roars the boos Mm. I'll show you you know your family are there you you score the winner at Wembley it's enough to go through but that that I understand for a myriad of reasons why that's a high point yeah I I don't know what emotions you approached the game against Coventry with because you know the, the, the odds it 's a tough one because you 'd lost three four in the trot and yeah. a while since you 'd won you 'd scored in the last victory, which was four or five weeks ago and and the, i don 't know if they, if you, you talked about having odds against me liking that, but when you 're under
1: tension yeah. of failure yeah. and everybody 's tense around you, that must have been horrible yeah yeah, horrible not a completely different feeling when you know the world 's against you i 'll show you um, Howard was quite smart. The night before the game, we always, when we played at home, we always stayed in our own beds. You um, stayed at home and you drove into the game. And he wanted, all that, um, he wanted all that gone. So he put us in a hotel over, I think it was in New Brighton at the time. And it was over the water, a million miles away from Liverpool. And whether it was a tactic, whether it was just something that he thought of off the cuff, on the morning of the game, he took us for a walk in New Brighton. And bizarrely enough, he took us to a little patisserie. And we all had tea and scones and cakes the morning of the game. Maybe just for that hour you could take away the pressure that was going to be coming in a few hours' time. And we went for a lovely lovely sunny walk, had a a tea and a scone, and we got back. And then once we got ready and got on the coach, I don't think I've ever felt any pressure in my life of when the coach arrived, um, the main entrance at Goodison Park. And normally when you arrive at any ground, there's probably a couple of hundred people, a couple of thousand max. The coach couldn't get down the street. There must have been 20,000 people on the streets, on the curbs, on the streets, in the bars, out of windows. And the majority were banging on the, on, on, on the team coach. The majority were singing. You could actually see the fear in the faces of the people that were going to be coming through the turnstiles in an hour's time. And it was a real moment where you were absolutely bricking it. Because it transmits, doesn't it? Of course it does, because you know. You know anyway what the game means to a club like Everton that have never been relegated. You know for your personal pride you don't want to be going into the championship. You know the manager, Howard, doesn't want to be in the the championship. You know what it feels like for him because he's an Evertonian and he doesn't want to be the man that takes them down. Mm. And then you see the streets aligned with 20,000 fans and you can see it in every boy and girl, man and woman. They are petrified... And what's going to happen? And you're in that team coach, and it, normally you have a little bit of music going on to try and drown out anything. It was silence. It was every. It was horrible. It was every person just sitting there thinking for yourself. And when you're thinking for yourself in those sorts of scenarios, you're always thinking of worst case scenario. You're never thinking we're going to win this today. It's going to be comfortable. We're going to stay up. It's going to be a party afterwards. You just think this is horrible. This is literally the worst drive. And the worst twenty minutes going into the dressing room I've ever had. The opposition manager is
2: Gordon Strachan. Um, it's Coventry. Yeah. You need Bolton not to do as well as you I At think, Chelsea at Chelsea, which I think was a reasonable bet. But you, you yeah, but guys, it was
1: but it was. I think memory serves me right, but it was goal difference. So if, if Bolton, was Bolton get a draw and we lose, we're gone. It's relegation. It's Relegation. Do, do, does the
2: Is the game gone now? Did it imprint on your memory? Never leave me.
1: Seriously, the the actual game? Seriously? No, not not in terms of how the 90 minutes went. The Before the game, um, bits of the game where Gareth Farrell scored the best goal he's ever scored in his life with his right foot, which he had no right foot whatsoever, (laughs) and he stuck it in the stanchion, and we all just dive on him in the corner flag. And then all of a sudden, I don't know at what period of the game he scored, no idea, I've got no idea on what the team talk was like at halftime. I remember the I remember the team talk before the game. Halftime's a blur. The second forty-five minutes was the longest game of football I've ever played in my life. I don't even know what the score was at halftime. I don't know who won the up. I don't know if it was nil-nil. Yeah, okay, nil. then I'm surprised. Okay, um, and then Deon Dublin scores. Yeah, very late. Very late, which felt again. I don't know minutes but it felt as though if you could take me back and you go, Dion Dublin scored, how, how long's left? It felt like 20 minutes. You though know, it might have been five. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because the game was just so slow and we had no real clue how the game was going. No, I tell a lie. It was part of the game we didn't know how Bolton were getting on at Chelsea. Then we realised through the fans how the game had gone. But still, one more goal for Kov sends us down. Yeah. We needed the point. Uh, and then the final whistle went, and then it actually it's quite emotional. And then Howard was on the pitch, Adrian Heath was on the pitch, Viv Fav- Busby was on the pitch. The crowd then were on the pitch, just raw emotion, relief. No, no celebrating. I don't think that would be the right word. And I don't think we've, we, we were celebrating staying up. It was the fact of thank God that uh, game is over and we've survived. Just relief. Everton should never, ever no. be in that position ever again. And I heard Howard and saw him crying like a baby. Mm. In the, uh, in the boot room And I've gone in Didn't turn the light on Just shut the door behind him Sat of him Embraced him uh, I was quite okay Wasn't emotional It is emotional now speaking Because yeah. obviously we've lost Howard Yeah And I'd love I'd love ten seconds with him again Just to do exactly the same thing understand And that. he Let it all out
2: There's a, an agent I used to know Way back I don't speak to many football agents But back in the 90s It was really important to know one or two One of them told me a big story about Marco Materazzi. Mm. Thug. Tattooed. Wow. Um, what was it? Well, he sort of, he, he, he brought it on himself with Sedan, didn't he? I thought he? He did. Abused him and he got head-butted in the Never chest. Never saw that player him. at Everton? No. Never, well, ever. Well, I Don't know what happened to him. That's kind of the, the thing I'm going to ask about, because the tale I was told was that quite often this. I mean, thug or not, maybe I used the wrong word, but he's a big lump of a man. Yeah. He's a fairly big, covered in tats. Mm. Petrified to go in at halftime after a bad display to face either the soft and gentle Walter Smith yeah. or the genuinely irascible Archie Knox. Mm.
1: Does that ring bells with yeah. you? Yeah. Marco came over and we were building an unbelievable side on the Walder. We'd signed um, John Collins. Uh, we'd signed Marco Matarazzi. Yeah. Olivier De Cor. could play nice. Kevin Campbell from Turkish football. football. Yeah. We already had a good crop of youngsters, people like Michael Ball. Uh, Richard Gough came at, at 39, I think. Dave Watson at 38. But, but honest, good pros. So you had a very, very good mix and you could see where the club was going. And I digress slightly where I go back to that pre-season and Walter Smith pulled me in his office and it's the first time I've ever been told this before. And he said to me, he said, I like you, you have got something about you, but just to let you know, if you want to leave, you can. And I went why and he went we've just signed John Collins and Olivier Decor you ain't going to get in uh, and I went I will and I went I'm not leaving and I, he went why did you say that and I went because I'm better than them two because I was experienced I had a bit of balls about me where I wouldn't have said that in a million years if I was a teenager but I believed in my ability and I walked out the door um, and pre-season was pre-season and then As all managers do Or or certainly did back then He put an 11 v 11 On at Goodison Park A week before the season starts And managers always pick Their 11 That's going to start um, Against the reserves Stroke youngsters Uh, And his first team Were to the left hand side Kicking away from the Gladys Street end And I was with the Youngsters um, Reserves Playing against the first team To the right hand side And the game kicked off And I done the most Horrendous tackle on Olivier Ducour ever to test him it wasn't, wasn't to hurt him wasn't to put him out of the first team whatsoever And I was never that sort of player I would never cost another man's career it was
2: what are you made of
1: yeah and he come back the two footer challenge and the two of us kicked the life out of each other for 90 minutes and it was just absolutely brilliant knowing we've got someone like him in the side mm-hmm. and I've got to go past him to get in the team and then John Collins was playing and he Took a couple of naughty tackles as well. And Walter knew that I wasn't going to back down, and again, I don't know timescales, it felt like within a week or so, or certainly a month, the midfield three was me, the court, and John Collins. And it was all because I said, I ain't leaving, I'm better than them two. And probably all to do with how that 90 minutes went. And of course he was going to play, and of course John was going to play. But I'd like to think, Walter saw enough of me, Mm -hmm. character-wise, to... Half thing, No, no, we need him in the side as
2: well. Well, you read Walter well, well there, because, you know, for all his abilities, whatever else he is, he's, he's a hard man. Very hard. Very. And Archie, for all the underneath, he's probably a, 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 not quite what he appears. He's probably the one who's had more players.
1: I had, I had, I had <laughs> the most strangest thing happen to me under Walter. We've played Leeds at home, and I think the game was nil-nil, and I played really well. And Walter took me off with about 20 minutes to go. And the crowd have booed his decision. And I'm sitting there and I could feel Walter not even looking at the game anymore. He's now looking down the, 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 the subs bench for a reaction. And I could feel it. And the crowd have booed his decision. I thought, don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And I've been here a million times where I've always thought, don't say anything. Mm. He knows you're, you're in the right place here. And I was calm. And the game finished. And we went in and we sat there. There was probably about 30 seconds of silence and then Walter let rip at me for my reaction. And it was, it was perfect, i never never done a thing, And he caned me and he went after me, he went after me and he was prodding me and he was nudging me and he was provoking me and everything on my shoulder, the monkey on my shoulder was going, don't say anything, mm. you're right, Gaffer's wrong. The other monkey's saying, you're gonna have to stand up for yourself, yeah? Because you're looking a little bit weak. And I stood there and I thought, no, I'm not going to say anything. And anyway, he went on and on and on until I snapped. Mm. And I was about 24 bottles of Lucas Aid and some waters and I picked up the Lucas Aides and I threw them in the air. And I went, don't be coming for me. I went, the crowd out there have let you know how bad of a decision that was. Well, it's exactly what he wanted. Now he's got every right now being the manager. He ran over, got me by the throat, stuck me in the showers. Literally, I felt like he lifted me off the wall by an inch or two. Get home You'll never play with this club again I've came in I'm in the shower I've took, took, took my stuff off I'm in the shower All the boys come in 1v1 one one. Gaffer was bang out of order There Gaffer mm. was bang out of order Archie comes in Right next to me In the shower He went You okay And I went Not really Archie I went what, What's that about And he went Go and see the gaffer In the boot room Before you go home Exactly the same boot room Howard was in First door to the left hand side So I'm thinking This is going to be interesting mm. My career's done But I wonder what he's got to say so I go in and I see him and Wattler says, you OK? I went, no. I went, what was that about? And he went, do you class Duncan Ferguson pretty hard? And I went, yeah. He went, Dave Watson, hard man? Richard Gough, hard man? I went, yeah. He went, Dave Unsworth, hard man? I went, yeah. He went, where were those three when I had you up against the wall? He went, you'll be captain Monday morning. New captain of Everton. <laughs> And I got on my car, and I'm just thinking, I've lost track of what this game's about anymore. I don't know what's for real. I don't know what. I don't know what's happening anymore. I've gone from never playing for the club again to now Duncan Ferguson being stripped of the captaincy, and me being the new captain on Monday morning. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to the big interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here end of the lesson.
0: Planning for your next trip?